Heavenly Father, on this homecoming Sunday, we thank you, O Lord, for your grace, for your care over the years for this congregation. We look back how far the history of this church stretches. Uh, Father, there are people who we do not remember, unnamed people, people, Father, who who gave uh, for their entire lives uh, to this church, to its mission, and had faith, Father, faith upon which this church has been built. We look over the years and we look how this church has moved from uh, across the street uh, uh, to, to over here. But even before that, uh, five different locations, Father, within this uh, small area of Verona. And then, and then we have the community center in aisle seven. And we, we just look at the ways this church has continued uh, uh, not just to grow, but, Father, to accept your call to expand your kingdom. And so we pray this day uh, for the church. We pray, Father, you will continue to inspire us, give us strength, give us courage, give us faith in all things. As we worship you this morning, Father, may we remember that at every intersection of life, at every crossroads, that all we need to do is put our hand in your hands and allow you to lead us. And Father, you will lead us home. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And with precious memories, Father, of all he has done for us. And amen. The scripture today is in the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, a story we're fairly familiar with where Saul meets Jesus. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the gourds. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The word of God for the people of God. God. This week, uh, I was thinking a lot about crossroads and uh, had been for the last couple of weeks and what it means, uh, not only the crossroads that we encounter in a... uh, uh, highway situations, and many times when we come to those crossroads, there are things that might be frustrating to us. For instance, if you're at a four-way intersection there, and the person in front of you, when the light turns green, they're looking at their phone, and they're not paying attention. That's become an ever greater problem for folks. We get impatient. There's also the possibility, I've seen people, you ever seen them, the left the left turn turns green, but they still have a red, but their eye somehow catches a change to the green, and they plop forward, and before you know it, you have an accident. It's funny that a place where cars are stopped would have so many accidents, be so dangerous, but it's because we don't know what the other cars are going to do. Sometimes they have a turn signal on, but they're not really turning, and all kinds of things happen. Just the danger of intersections. I thought about intersections that we come to in life, marriage is a crossroads. It's a place where suddenly you're going a different direction from where you had been your whole life. Um, uh, college for people. And if we go even, even uh, more uh, specific down into every day, we make 
thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of individual decisions. Some are conscious decisions, some are subconscious and uh, maybe automatic, habitual things, but uh, somehow the brain uh, tells the lungs, breathe, you know, right up to uh, all the decisions you make around what you're going to eat that day, what you're going to wear that day. And then decisions that maybe have a little bit uh, more of a span in your life, such as who is going to be your friend? Who is my friend? Can I trust this person to be my friend? Just It just goes on and on. I could stand up here all morning to say that our life is a life of crossroads where we're constantly making decisions. And I, and, and I thought about uh, how in the Bible uh, it seems like it is those moments of, of where, where a nation is at a crossroads or a particular person is at this crossroads of decision that that is where most of our stories are in the Bible, a crossroads of decision. I thought about when I was a child, which recently in sermons, that's all I seem to think about is when I was a child. I keep going back. I, psychologically, if I was analyzed, someone would probably say, you're having uh, some security issues or something's going on, and you long to go back to those simpler times of your childhood. I'm self-analyzing here. It's full, full who is his own physician, but anyways, I'm doing that. And uh, so I was thinking about that, and I thought about this place in my childhood that was called the Crossroads. It was in our neighborhood, maybe... There were maybe five houses down from my house. You can see on the uh, sketch here that I have for you, which, by the way, how old was I, do you think, when I did this sketch? Yeah, 64. Uh, <laughs> did it this week, and I found I have not improved in my artwork one bit from when I was four. But anyways, uh, and I have a daughter who is, has a studio art degree, so you can see where she got her talent. Not from Lydia, obviously, but from me. So anyways, but this is from my memory, uh, and I just drew my house up there, not the other houses in the neighborhood. We were on three streets in our neighborhood, Gar- Garfield Estates, and up uh, in northern Virginia, and they were all new houses in 1954. I was born in 55, and I think that our, uh, they moved into our house when I was 10 days old, uh, had been living up in Alexandria. And so we... Uh, uh, moved into that house, and I grew up there until I was about 10. We lived there. But when I was a little kid, we had this place called the Crossroads. And it was this vacant lot that they had apparently intended to build a house on, but they didn't. So they had cleared it all off, so it was a lot of dirt and a lot of erosion. And, uh, you know, a kid's paradise, because it also had this cliff back where they had bulldozed and then cut up. And so, you know, we played war there. We did everything there. You could play paratrooper and jump off and break a leg. And it was it was a great... Great little playground. Isn't it funny? We pay, we, we spend so many thousands and thousands of dollars to give a kid a playground. And all you really need to do is take a bulldozer and clear a place out. And kids will find, you know, dirt clod wars, you know, the dirt clods. and th- It was great. But one of the things that we found was really good was that we could ride off of that cliff and come down and, uh, on this path that led to the road. And that's why we called it the crossroads, because we weren't going to stop at the road. We were going to ride our bikes across the road, down another hill to the creek where we had a ramp built that would launch us over the creek, at which point we would crash. <laughs> it was so much fun. Uh, and, and, you know, we were just lined up as kids. I don't, re- I don't mean to be sexist here about this, but I don't remember any girls doing it at that time. I know some of you women here would have done it, but I don't remember any at that time. I also don't remember any parents being concerned about us. We didn't wear knee pads or, or helmets. You know, it was just whatever, you know, 
mom maybe said, well, that's one less to care for, you know, if anything happened to you. But the real danger here was that intersection at the crossroads where you come down to that spot. And the way we managed this in our, in our childhood wisdom was if a car was coming and you calculated that you could not get across without the car hitting you, uh, then what you needed to do was just just bail out or wreck. Just Just take your bike and just to the ground. So you just go to the ground and cut yourself or whatever, but it was better than hitting the car. Uh, so we're always looking left and right. Time, time, if you see a car coming, yeah, I can make it past. Uh, there's little cars I'm sorry about there. They look like little uh, alien uh, you know, ships or something. Um, so, uh, so we had this whole thing set up, and it was filled with danger. And I thought this week, why in the world did we as little boys, think this was a good idea. What was there that attracted us to this idea of going across this dangerous crossroads? Now I thought about how in life we get to the point, and I think we're kind of in such a safety-conscious generation now, that we wouldn't let our kids do this. No way. No way is that going to get by. There was a, a feeling of ecstasy that you were doing something dangerous. We worshipped army men. We worshipped, you know, uh, people, you know, the cowboys and Indians that used to be on TV and things, and they did dangerous stuff, and and, and now we're doing something that requires courage and skill, uh, and at least we thought so. And that whole impetus to do that was important to us. As we grow older, we become more cautious. We begin to get common sense, and, and after a while, we tend to pull back from going across those kinds of crossroads in life. We pull back, we say, well, our experience teaches us this is dangerous or it's not a good idea. And how does that affect us in our church life and as churches and as individuals? See, one of the things I love about the history of this church is when I look back and you saw some of the slides there, when I look back over the history of this church that we were across the street and then we moved to another place across the street, we moved to another place, we moved to another place, and then we moved over here. And then we built on. And then we've gone back across the street with aisle 7 and the community center. That that tells me this is a church that when we come to a crossroads and God says, I need you to cross on over, I need you to go this way or that way, that we, we listen to God and we do that. And it's, it's so important in our lives to realize that crossroads are places of opportunity. Uh, you know, John Kennedy started this. I don't think in the Chinese it's really true, but have you ever heard that, that the same symbol for crisis is also in Chinese the symbol for opportunity, that a crisis is also an opportunity? I looked it up. It's a little bit more complex than that, but essentially it's, it's the truth. And I believe that is true, that when we are in a crisis... It is a place of opportunity to do something. And right now, the United Methodist Church is in a place of crisis. We have a lot of deep divisions theologically, and, and uh, this is driving us towards next May. Very much uh, the possibility, many propositions being put forward to divide the church. And so for a lot of people, this seems like a crisis. Some people will leave the church before. I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to have to cross that road. I'd rather just turn around and and leave and not have to be involved in that. But we have an opportunity here in this church uh, with Al 7 and with this congregation here. If we'll just cross where God tells us to cross and wait for God's word, we can cross any crossroads safely. 
we can cross it knowing that God has led us there. I've shared with you that when I became a pastor, one of the things that immediately came to me was like a word from God. Uh, before I was a pastor, when he first called me, and I was trying to figure out what all that meant in our life, the changes to the family, the business, everything, that uh, I finally uh, just heard this thing. It kept saying, go through the door when I open it. Don't go through unless it's open." Go through the door when I opened it. And that became my mantra for, for just, as I went through the process, and at times I didn't know how to make, do the next process, I said, I'll just wait for God to open the door. And when we come to a crossroads or an intersection that seems dangerous or it's not a place we want to cross and it's not a direction that we want to go in, we need to wait on the Lord. And let, let God lead us through these things. When we, we see the story of Paul today, uh, at this time known as Saul, in the story in Acts chapter 9, Saul is, he has a clear-cut mission from God, he believes, to persecute the Christians. And persecute's one of those words that kind of covers up the details. Persecute here meant taking people off in chains, imprisoning them, beating them, killing them. And he will share in Acts chapter 20 and 22 and then later on the book of Galatians more details about what that meant. It was a vicious uh, endeavor that he was in, this mission he was in. He was a star pupil. He was brilliant. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the law. He knew God's word. He knew everything. And he went on this mission for God. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of going down, he had letters from, from, from the temple officials to the, to the leaders of synagogues in every town saying, Paul is authorized, or Saul is authorized, to take prisoner any people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Because up to that time, the Christians, the followers of Jesus, were actually still going to synagogues and participating in the life of the synagogue. They were still Jewish. They believed in Jesus. You know, Jesus was a Jew. I mean, it made sense for them. We just continue with what we've done all our lives. And then on Sunday, we'll gather and we'll worship as followers of Jesus. But they were still part of the synagogue. But Paul didn't want that. He wanted them kicked out. And he wanted them taken prisoner. So he's on his way to Damascus with his letters telling that he has the authorization to do that when suddenly there is this, this bright light, something just lightning. He, he loses his sight. He goes to his knees. He cries out, you know, who are you? Uh, and there, uh, that moment there, he's in the middle of that road and he has a choice. God tells him to go down into Damascus to Straight Street, and there he will meet a man named Ananias. Go down there and meet him, and then he'll tell you what to do. But Paul just as easily could have run. He could have gotten those men who were with him on their horses, and they could have carried him back to Jerusalem, and he could have hidden from the Lord. Don't you know that's what Jonah did? You know in the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, what happens? Jonah is sent by God to the city of Nineveh to bring them to repentance, but they're not a city of Israel. They're an alien city. He doesn't like them. He doesn't like these foreigners. So he doesn't want to do it. So what does he do? He runs from God. He gets on the ship. His intent is to go as far as he can to where the voice of God can't reach him. But of course the people on the ship find out what he's doing and they're in a big storm. They say the only way to save us is to throw him overboard. He gets thrown over. He gets swallowed up by a big fish. The big fish goes back over towards the shore and vomits him up. And now he has to go to Nineveh. 
So he goes to Nineveh, and lo and behold, somehow the people listened to him. It's interesting to think that he didn't want them to repent, but he was able to preach to them in a way that they repented. He must have loved just telling them how bad they were, and they got convicted. You guys are terrible people. God hates you. I hate you. Oh, you know, he opened their eyes to who they were, and boom, they repent. Now he's angry because they repented, because he hates them, and what he wanted God to do was to destroy them. You know, a little fire and brimstone, he goes up on the hillside to watch. Stand back. God's going to do it. But then he finds out, finds out that God has forgiven them. Oh my goodness, how could he do that? Now he's angry. So he's sitting there and in, in the sun, and he is hot, and he's miserable, and he's angry with God, but God in his grace grows this, this plant. And the plant comes up with a big leaf over him, and it shades him. And he loves the plant. He is so thankful for this plant. You know, he doesn't love Nineveh, but he loves the plant. And, and he's sitting there, and then God sends a dry wind from, I believe it was the west, a west wind that comes and dries out the plant, and the plant dies overnight. And when he wakes up, the sun is there, and he sees his dead plant, and he says, how could God do this to me? He killed my plant. And then God's, God says to Jonah, he says, you are angry. You are mourning a plant. And yet, yesterday, you wanted me to kill a couple hundred thousand people, men, women, and children, and their cattle to boot. What kind of person are you? And the story just ends there with that question. Who are you? But Jonah, see, he got to that crossroads where he had to make the decision to listen to God's word, and he turned away from it, and he left. The same, there's other instances. David... Uh, David, in the story of David Goliath that we all know, David goes down to take lunch to his brothers. His dad tells him, uh, Jethro says, take, take lunch down to your brothers. They're down there, you know, a couple miles away. And they're, they're on the battlefield with the Philistines, but they need something to eat. And David gets down there. Well, there, there's this big valley between them and the Philistine army and this giant named Goliath. And Goliath is yelling out at the Israeli army at at the uh, army of Israel, he's saying, you know, you're a bunch of dogs. You know, I could take you and break every bone in your bodies. He's saying all kinds of stuff. He's threatening them. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the uh, uh, wrestling today, pro wrestling. They're just insulting, you know, he's insulting the people. He's trying to get them to come on, but they're, they're scared. The whole army is frozen. Uh, Saul, the king, is with his advisors in his tent, and he won't come out. And David comes down there, and he's probably like 14 years old, and he's apparently kind of small of stature, not a big kid yet. He still has a growing spurt to, to go through. And David looks at the army, and he's, he says, you guys are pitiful. I mean, you're like my heroes. And I came down here with your bag lunches, and I, you know, I brought sip-ups for my brothers and everything, you know, and, and I come down here, and you guys are just shaken. And he says, why, why are you afraid of this heathen? He's a barbarian. Aren't you God's army? Shouldn't you be able to defeat anybody? Why are you afraid of him? And so he's got the, you know, brash young guy, big mouth, bragging. So he goes, they take him to Saul, and Saul says, wow, I like this kid. He's got spunk. Let's send him over there, and then we can get back to planning how we're going to get out of this situation, because certainly Goliath is just going to kill him. So he gives him his armor, but the armor is too big. And David says, I can't fight in this. I can't use this sword. The sword's too heavy. So instead, that's how he, he, he just goes out there like a shepherd boy, has his sling, 
kills Goliath, comes back, becomes a hero. You know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is killing his ten thousands as, as time goes on and David begins to lead the army. You see, David went down there and he saw where everybody else was at that, that confluence, that, uh, that intersection, that crossroads, where the very destiny of their nation depended upon what they did and they were frozen. But David had faith in God to go ahead. Another time there was, uh, in, uh, in Numbers, there's the story of Joshua and Caleb. Uh, it's time for the children of Israel who've been in the wilderness for 40 years to go into the promised land. And so they send down scouts. And for 40 days, these scouts go all around through Cana and, 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 and they're, they're spying it out. And they come back and they say, good news. There's really good news here. Uh, we brought back some samples of grapes. Uh, there's milk and honey. It's flowing with milk and honey. I mean, this is a perfect place, but there's just one problem. They have giants in the land, and they make us look like grasshoppers. And so, you know, if we go in there, we're all going to get killed. Well, Caleb uh, says, wait, wait a minute, isn't God on our side? Didn't God promise us this land? Why are you afraid? I don't care how big they are. But then these spies go around through the people and they spread rumors and, 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 they, and, they, and they get the people all worried. And they say, no, 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 no. We can't go in there. These guys are too big for us. We can never do it. And so they begin to spread this unfaith, this anti-faith, this, will, this belief that God can't help us here. And finally, Caleb says, I don't care. God's on our side, folks. But you see, the spies here are the main thing I want to talk about because they come to this crossroads, this very important moment in the history of Israel, and their decision is to run. How many times have we had places in our life where God is telling us to go through a crossroads and we've gotten frozen, or we've turned around and we have fled? How many churches do that today? How many churches are dying because they did not have the faith to go through that intersection of life? Because their first impulse was to listen to the, to the weak human heart rather than to the heart of God. It was to listen to people who come around and say, Oh, we can't do that. That's too much. We'll never, what, if, what if we can't pay, pay for that? What if people don't come? What if, what if, what if, what if? Two worst words when put together in the English language are what if. Because in the Christian mind, there shouldn't be any, ever any question of what if. The answer is already there for us. What if? God. What if? God. If God has told us to do it, we must do it. We must go through that crossroads. And this is the thing that I, I have loved about this church. From, uh, from the moment I came here, from, from the moment I sat down with Paul Alexander, and then sat down with Harry Lockridge, and looked at the history of the church, and I said, this is a church that's gone through a lot of crossroads. This is a church that has had the faith to say, uh, when God told them to do something, to do it, to go on mission trips. You know, some churches say, we can't afford to pay for the mission trip. We, we, we can't afford to build the building. We can't afford to, uh, to give out the food. We can't afford to do the community center. We can't afford to start. It's always can't afford. And those are the churches that you see all spotted through the countryside here that very often are down to five or six or seven people. And I've been in those churches. Now granted, God placed us at a crossroads. But I think he did it for a purpose, to challenge us. 
I mean, some churches can say, we're just in a dying area, there's very few people here. And that may be the reason. But we don't have any excuses here. And so I love that about this church, and I love the faith that people had to do things when other people might have turned around and not gone through it. Folks, I want us to be a church that gets on the bike, rides down the hill with reckless abandon, and crosses that intersection, horns blaring, cars crashing, goes down that hill, goes over the ramp, crashes, and then looks up and says, that was fun. I want us to be the church that is willing to go out there. As Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a little child. I want us to be the little child that says, I can do it. As long as my mommy doesn't know about it, I can do it. (laughs) So, let's be that church. A lot of crossroads ahead of us, but we can make it through every one of them, and God will bless us if we are faithful to him and to his word, faithful to the spirit of God that guides us. And amen. Prophet Jeremiah said, This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, where is the good way? And then walk in it and find rest for your souls. I pray that we can find rest for our souls. I heard something on the radio this morning and I thought it was so brilliant and it said, uh, the person said, uh, and I'm sure this comes from somewhere, someplace, that uh, sometimes in life we're in the darkness and we believe it's the darkness of the tomb. But is it possible that it's the darkness of a womb? That sometimes when there's darkness that's all around us and and, uh, we can't find our way and and we're worried about our church or whatever, perhaps it's just God uh, bringing forth a new thing, giving birth to a new new church. And so uh, I think that should be our prayer to God that we would... Always, no matter what the situation, light or darkness, have faith in him. So let's go forth. Let's go in and enjoy some food and some fellowship together. God, we pray that you would bless those who have prepared it. And Father, we thank you for the blessings of life and the food that we now share together. And Father, may we always walk in faith, not by sight, but by faith in your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And amen.